Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Our Biggest Problem. This morning I want to talk to you about the biggest problem we have. It doesn't really matter what kind of problems we have in our life. A physical problem, an emotional problem, a mental problem, a financial problem. None of these problems are actually the biggest problem. Satan isn't even the biggest problem. The biggest problem we have is unbelief. Today we're going to look at unbelief and how we as believers can overcome it. So what exactly is unbelief? Well, I like the definition that God gave a minister by the name of Arthur Minchez. Arthur was complaining one day to the Lord that he couldn't seem to get anything to work. God, I am a faith preacher. I know faith. God, why isn't it working? <laughs> because I see these other people are getting it to work, but for some reason my faith doesn't seem to work. <laughs> so God said to him, well, your problem is unbelief. And his response was, what do you mean? I'm a faith preacher, remember? <laughs> this is what I do. I am a faith preacher. I believe in faith. I believe it works. Why isn't it working? And God said, well, you are believing, but you're believing un, unrighteous, unhealthy, unprovided for. You're always believing un. It's your unbelieving that's messing up your faith. Now, I look up the word un in the dictionary, and it says it is a prefix meaning not, which gives a negative or opposite force in relation to the word it's attached to. So we could say that unbelief is faith going in the opposite direction or the wrong direction. It's believing in the wrong direction. It's believing bad stuff will happen, <laughs> which brings fear. And fear is rooted in believing un, unrighteous, unholy, unloved. So unbelief doesn't mean that we have no belief. It means that we believe something contrary, something in the opposite direction of what God says is true. Believers can have and do have unbelief in certain areas of our lives. We can believe and unbelieve at the same time. Many, many, many years ago, I had the same question that Arthur did. God, why can't I seem to get this faith to work? I mean, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. What's the big idea? <laughs> and so, uh, well, I always ask God for a scripture. When I want God to talk to me, go to the Word, because it's the Word. And if you need to know something, you need to know what's true. So I always go to the Word. God, give me a Word. And so he gave me Hebrews 3.12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That is not me. That's not you, Jesus. And I went looking somewhere else. This happened like three different occasions. God, what's wrong with my faith? Evil heart of unbelief. No, no, that is not God. <laughs> Finally, God said, stop it. It is me. Stop rebuking me. You can't rebuke me. It's me. <laughs> he said, take time to listen. Okay. And so he says, read the whole passage. Don't just lift it out of its context. He says, yes, the point is you have unbelief. But what does it say? You see, in my understanding, unbelief was for those people who 
didn't believe in Jesus. That was their problem. They had unbelief. They believed something other than Jesus. Well, that wasn't me. So it couldn't possibly be that my problem was unbelief. The Lord had me study through that portion of Scripture. And what the Lord showed me was that this story in Hebrews is about believers in God, the Israelites, who had already been given the Promised Land. But they let fear, a form of unbelief, steal what God had already given them. That's important. All they had to do was believe God and do what God told them to do. Take the land. But their unbelief, their faith in the wrong direction, prevented them from taking and holding what had already belonged to them. The Israelites looked at themselves. They looked at their own abilities. They looked at their own resources. And then they compared what they had to the giants. And they very quickly determined, this is impossible. <laughs> there is no way, God. They had belief in the wrong direction. They believed what the natural realm had to say over what God had already told them. That's the kind of unbelief that we as believers are always fighting, natural unbelief. It's what the natural realm says. It's what our natural mind says, our logic. It's the exact opposite, however, of what God says. Natural unbelief is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy what we already have through Jesus Christ. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. We receive life and life more abundantly through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the only way a thief could steal or kill or destroy us would be to do something to hinder our faith. Technically, the thief in this scripture refers to the religious leaders who were directing and teaching the people to not put their faith in Jesus and his miracles. Jesus even tells us in the same chapter that it's the religious leaders who are the thieves and the robbers. And they were using and sowing unbelief, faith in something other than Jesus, <laughs> as their method of stealing sheep, killing sheep, and destroying sheep. Unbelief can be very powerful in the life of a sheep, if it's not averted. So, I think the most powerful thing about natural unbelief is that it is so very sneaky and so very subtle. It simply comes from living in the natural realm and from natural thoughts. And everything in the natural realm talks to us. <laughs> our bodies talk to us, our bills talk to us, family pressures talk to us, even our logic talks to us. Everything in the natural realm talks to us, and we hear it. Romans 10:17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if faith in the right direction comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, how does faith in the wrong direction come? By hearing, and hearing something other than God. <laughs> when we hear, and hear, and hear, the natural realm, and you add to that simply the lies of the enemy, you have what is called unbelief. Our heart stores everything it hears. That's just the way it works. So we have to decide what we want our heart to hear. Satan can't steal our faith or stop our faith. That's good to know. So what he tries to do is counteract our faith with unbelief. 
Satan knows that nothing shall be impossible to him who believes. That's a big statement. Nothing shall be impossible to him who believes. But he also knows that a double-minded man won't be able to take and hold and receive all that belongs to him in Jesus Christ. So his goal is to get us double-minded regarding the truth of God's grace and all that's available through the finished work of Jesus. The basis of this double-mindedness is doubt. Satan tries to sow doubt into our hearts by saying things like, did God really say? Is that really true? (laughs) Is the work of salvation really finished? Does he really like you the way you are? (laughs) Really? You sure God hears you? You see, all he has to do is just whisper that. And if we don't resist it, it just goes right into our heart. So we need to be sure of what we believe, and we need to resist those seeds of doubt. If we don't understand the covenant of grace, then we'll be forever second-guessing ourselves and God. Just like I used to. Do I have enough faith? What am I doing wrong? Always trying to make myself approvable to God, pleasing to God. If something's not working, it must be that I must be bad. If you don't understand grace, that you spend all of your time doing that, trying to fix yourself. When difficulties come, the devil will send us thoughts like, is this sickness God's way of punishing me? Is this financial lack? Is this God's idea of training? (laughs) Are you mad at me? Are you secretly mad at me, God? Did I do something wrong? It's funny that Christians always ask God, did I do something wrong? Don't you think if you did something wrong, he'd let you know? Yes, he loves you. But why do we think that somehow we have sneakily done something wrong (laughs) and God is mad? It's all the lies of the enemy. All of these thoughts come from doubt and unbelief caused by not understanding who God is and what he has accomplished through the cross. So the remedy for unbelief begins with understanding God's grace and his covenant of grace. God's grace, his absolutely free loving kindness. In his grace, he provided Jesus to take all of our sins, all at the same time, once forever, and took all of our judgment into the grave. And then he raised up Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he seated him at his very own right hand in heavenly places. He was and is completely victorious over all the power of the enemy. And when we receive Jesus, we receive everything he accomplished. And what he accomplished was the complete victory over sin, death, and the curse. Under the curse of the law is sickness, disease, poverty, bondage, you name it. If it's bad, it's under the curse. We, however, have now been placed under the blessing. Now, what I find interesting is that there are many believers who believe that Jesus died for them. They believe that. They believe that God can heal. They believe Sometimes he answers you. He might withhold something because it's good for you. This kind of thinking. It is in the church everywhere. And one of the things someone recently asked me is, or said to me, is that no, healing is not in the atonement. Jesus didn't pay for our healing. Even in the face of scriptures that say something different. It's like, how can you believe that? I said, let's just think about this logically for a second. In the old covenant, you know, the one of works, (laughs) It said healing was always part of their covenant. He said, I am the God who healeth thee. Stay in covenant, and healing will be your portion. 
if our covenant is better based on better promises, how is it less than the old? It's not. It's better. <laughs> because now the one who performs the covenant, who brings the power, lives inside of us. Healing is our right in Christ. Not because we're good, but because the blood of Jesus has delivered us from all the power of the enemy, all the power of the curse. Because of Jesus, we have already died to the old nature and to sin. We have been made new creatures in Jesus Christ, and we are filled with God himself. So everything that needed to be done on our behalf to set us free from the power and presence of sin and his curse has already been finished. It's already done. That's grace. Grace says it's already done. If we get a grace mentality, then whatever comes to us can't have the same impact anymore. Because I already know it's all ready done. If I know all of my sins have been punished, then when bad things come, even if they come because I've been stupid, they're not punishment from God. <laughs> they're attacks of the enemy or consequences of my own stupidity. Because I already know the punishment is all ready done. We've got to get a it's an all ready done mentality. When sickness comes, when pain comes, we need to have a grace mentality. It's all ready done. I'm going to walk in agreement with it's all ready done. Because if you have an it's an all ready done mentality, you're not going to be in fear and you're not going to be in doubt and you're not going to be in worry and you're not going to be in concern because you already know it's all ready done. That's a grace mentality. In John chapter 17, verse 4, it says this. Jesus said to his Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Finished the work. Now, he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But you see, when God says something's finished, it's as good as finished. Even though in the physical, we might say, hey, he wasn't done yet. He says, no, no, when I say something, when I say it so, it is finished. It is finished. He has an already finished mentality, and we need to have one too. On the cross, in John chapter 19, verse 30, it says this, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. It is finished. It is paid for. It is done. That's a grace mentality. When the unexpected bill comes in the mail, it is finished. It is paid. And we've got to say so. Don't let that bill talk to you. You talk to it. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to be afraid of you. It's all ready, finished. The work needed to be accomplished for all of our salvation is complete. It is finished. It's all ready done. It's completely provided for us so that all we do is believe in what he has done and in what he has already said. That's where faith really begins. Resting in the truth that whatever we have need of, it is already done. It's already provided. Under grace, we are not trying to get God to do something. God's trying to get us to do something. Believe and receive. Believe, take and hold. Remain consistent in our faith without being tossed around like a wave by the wind. 
by outside pressures and circumstances. We need to be consistent in our faith. In Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, it says this, and this is Jesus answering his disciples, and it says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever, who? Whosoever. Any whosoever's here? Are you a whosoever? Pretty sure you're all a whosoever. Okay. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Love the word receive. It's the word lambano. means take and hold. Take and don't let go. <laughs> take, keep, guard. Make sure you hang on to it. What I love about this is this is Jesus who said this, okay? If Jesus came, it was right here, physically, you could see him. He said, whatever you say, whatever that comes out of your mouth, that's what you're going to have. What would you let come out of your mouth? Good things. <laughs> okay, this is the same Jesus who says this is the kind of power our faith has. When we put our faith in God, that's the kind of power we have. The problem here isn't with faith. He said, faith will do this. You speak it, you believe it, it's a done deal. But he did say there was a hindrance. Hmm, doubt. <laughs> the word doubt means to withdraw. It means to waver. We looked at last time I ministered in James. Any man, a double-minded man, he pulls away. That was what I was doing with my healing. I'm healed, Jesus, I'm healed. That's one thought. When, Jesus, when? I don't got it. I go from I do got it to I don't got it. I do got it, I don't got it. Double-minded. And when we're double-minded, he says, that's the problem. You're not staying consistent. You're not taking and holding. You take, you let go. You take, you let go. <laughs> the problem isn't our faith. The problem is the doubt, the unbelief that pulls us away from what I believe I've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. Doubt will try to talk us out of what we know belongs to us. Doubt will try to talk you out of what belongs to you in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had perfect faith. Wouldn't you think so? Wouldn't you think Jesus has perfect faith? Oh yeah. Okay, don't you think he used it perfectly? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> we have perfect faith we just don't use it perfectly <laughs> right before Jesus said this to his disciples the disciples had noticed that the fig tree that Jesus had cursed earlier had dried up from the roots and they were pretty impressed they're like look 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 what he did with his words wouldn't we be impressed we should be impressed but Jesus says we can do the same thing. He told his disciples who weren't even filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do this. We have it better than the disciples did. They didn't have God living on the inside of them, and they didn't have Jesus' perfect faith. We do. God has given us the measure of faith, the same measure Jesus had. The same. You know, we talked about last time about faith being like a grabber tool. We all got the same Jesus grabber tool. It does the same thing for us that it does for Jesus. We just gotta make sure we hang on to it. We have the ability 
to do by faith the same things Jesus did. I say this because Satan tries to sow unbelief into our heart by telling us that we don't have the faith we need to get the job done, whatever that job is. He tries to tell us that we've failed before and you'll probably fail again. You're so bad at using your faith. You just don't even try. Satan still uses that one on me. Why try again? You've already proven you can fail at this. He's lots of liar. He's sowing unbelief. He tries to sow unbelief because he knows how powerful faith is. He just doesn't want us to know how powerful our faith is. Because it is our faith in God that overcomes the world and his interference. It doesn't matter what it is I need. Maybe I need a miracle or healing or provision. It doesn't matter what I need. But the truth is that you and I have the faith of the Son of God. And we can access whatever it is that is in the kingdom just as easily as Jesus did. My faith will work for me the same as it worked for Jesus. We do have the ability to do exactly what he did, and Satan can't stop us. We can't let him convince us. He has to get us on his side. He has to get us to walk in agreement with what he says to hinder our faith. That's the only way he can do it. And so we need to know that we have to resist what he has to say. We have to resist what we think we feel. We have to resist. One of the things I found interesting while studying about faith and unbelief this past week is that only in the Gospels do we find words like great faith and little faith. But after the cross, you only find words like strong in faith and weak in faith. And mostly you just find the word faith or the faith. It's because we now have the faith, the faith of the Son of God. We can do what Jesus did. Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says this, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What I love about this is that he marries faith and the love of God. That's where our faith comes from, the grace that we know how loved we are, how important we are, how accepted we are, how approved we are. When we get to the point where Satan can't tuck us out of our position and our privilege, he's in a world of hurt. <laughs> I used to ask God if I had enough faith to get healed. They would have an altar call for healing. God, do I have enough faith? Am I ready? <laughs> Can I get it today? My focus was wrong. I was looking at my faith as something that was my responsibility to create. So I was always looking at my faith and trying to ascertain if it was big enough or if it was still too small. Instead, I should have been looking at the grace that says it's already done. It's already finished. It is the grace of God, when we see the grace of God, that activates our faith. It's not by self-effort and trying to be strong. Oh, it doesn't work. <laughs> I tried it for years. It really doesn't work. <laughs> when we see the grace and how free God's love and provision really is, faith works naturally. It becomes supernaturally natural. We already have all the faith we need. Our biggest problem isn't a lack of faith. It's the natural unbelief that counteracts or hinders our faith. We see this truth in the story of Abraham and Sarah. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is actually talking to his audience about how to receive the righteousness by faith instead of by works. 
I begin reading in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. I just love that. (laughs) The promise doesn't rest on my good behavior. The promise doesn't rest on anything other than the grace of God. And I like the second part too. And be guaranteed to all his offspring. Guaranteed. Not only to the adherent of the law, which was the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That would be us Gentiles. Verse 17, as it is written, this is God speaking, I have made you the father of many nations. He said that to Abraham in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. There it is. Jesus said it's finished before it was finished. He says it's there before you can see it. It's finished, even if you can't see it. Verse 18, in hope. This would be godly hope. Abraham in his confident expectation of God's goodness. In hope. He believed. Okay? Against natural hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Listening to our body can bring natural unbelief. And his body had good reason to have unbelief (laughs) because his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham was fully aware of all the natural impossibilities. But the God of creation said, so shall your offspring be. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Natural unbelief was the only thing that could stop the impossible from happening. Natural unbelief. Satan can't stop our faith, which is also Jesus' faith, from being effective. He has to trick us into considering what the natural realm says above what God says. Abraham, in believing God, went against all logic and all his past experience. Sometimes we look at our past experience and say, it's never worked before, Jesus. (laughs) Didn't work last time I tried this. (laughs) No. God said, so shall your offspring be. He had set his eyes on the one who had promised. Abraham was fully convinced. That means he didn't let any unbelief hinder his faith. He was fully convinced that God would move on his behalf and fulfill the promise. What I really like about this is God didn't leave him with just natural unbelief. God helped him with his seeing in particular. You see, he could look back at his past and say, oh, That's never going to happen. It hasn't happened in this many years. It's not going to happen now. So God said, look at the stars. See how many you can count. That's how many offspring you're going to have. Oh, and by the way, look at the sand. How many grains are there? In other words, get your mind in a different place. He went from having natural unbelief, considering his body, to God said, no, 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 no. When you look around, you look to the promise. Day and night, you keep your eyes on what I say is so. Every time you have an opportunity, God says, one, two, three, four, five, six. God says, one, two, three, four, five, six. God says. He gave him something physically to look at so that his natural unbelief couldn't get in the way. 
What we have is like a million times better than what Abraham had because we already know God's already moved. God's already provided. It's already done. When we know that, when our heart says, I know, it really is done. I take it. I hold it. I'm keeping it. <laughs> you can expect, you can expect to see it. Amen? Because we don't have to wait on God to do. He's already done. It's a finished work. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Yes, and it is done. Yes, and it is finished. Yes, all the promises are yes. Do you have a promise? The promise is yes. What do you want? God says yes. If it's in the covenant, yes. <laughs> and then we say amen. We say it is done. We say this is mine. We say this is the way it's going to be. In 2 Peter, we also find faith, finished work, and promise. 2 Peter, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 4. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Not people with little faith, not people with big faith, but the same precious faith. To them who have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. What can be multiplied? There's more. You can have more. More grace. More peace. More prosperity. You can have more. Really? Yes. How? How can I have more? Be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. According as his divine power hath given past tense, hath given unto us all things. Sounds like it's finished to me. Hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the word there is zoe, life. God's life. It's also inclusive. It includes all of life. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. All things for all things. For all needs. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us according to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be takers. We can be takers. We can be takers. Forget the par. You can be takers. <laughs> Partakers of the divine nature. What is God's divine nature? He's everything. He has everything. Anything good is God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life. It's, he's all good. If it's good, he says you can have it. Having escaped the corruption, that's the ruin and the decay that is in this world through lust. So if we have the same faith, the same finished work, and the same promises. But you've got to know your promises. You've got to know what grace is. You've got to know what's in your covenant. Faith is always based on what we know. These are the promises of the new and everlasting covenant made by God our Father and mediated to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. These promises are exceedingly great. Even if we just consider who made them, the one and only true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth, made these promises to us. He who cannot lie made promises. And then he sealed those promises with an oath. God by the way, was under no obligation to make any kind of promises. 
to mankind. So these promises arise only from his great grace, his unconditional love, his unmerited favor. They are promises that reflect his true nature and character, his greatness, his goodness, his powerfulness. And most of all, they reveal his will for our lives. He promised that his promises were good. <laughs> and they are promises that are made good and brought forth by his power and his faithfulness. And they're absolutely free. They're unconditional, they're irreversible, and they're unchangeable. And they're all ours for the taking and holding. One of the ways we overcome unbelief is looking to God's great grace by meditating not just on the promises themselves, but on the grace and the faithfulness of the one who promised. And by not letting ourselves forget, it's already done. And it's just waiting for me to take. Unbelief comes by what we hear, see, think, and feel in the natural realm. So the remedy is to do the exact same thing, hear, see, think, and feel in the opposite direction. Instead of listening to the natural realm, we can choose to hear, see, think, and feel the truth. The truth of who God is, the truth of who we are in him, and the truth of what he's already done on our behalf. And this is how we actively resist unbelief. Just like we need to actively resist symptoms in our body, we need to also actively resist unbelief. When I still had fibromyalgia, and the Lord had revealed to me that I still had unbelief due to my symptoms being so constant and so overwhelming, I knew I had to actively resist it. Even though God had taught me this years before, I always thought my healing was in the future. I had to work my way by faith to go get it. I didn't have a grace mentality back then. And so as coming into the knowledge of grace, God says, what's hindering your faith? It's unbelief. Well, how do I get rid of unbelief? I have to change what I think, hear, see, and feel. Okay, so what I decided to do back then was listen and watch, seeing and hearing, <laughs> every healing testimony on Andrew Womack's television program. I recorded them. Every day when I got home from work, I watched them until I went to bed. So every day, I am actively resisting. I am changing. I am choosing to hear and see something completely opposite to what my body is saying. That's actively resisting unbelief. I did that for several weeks. What I was actually doing, if you think about it, was flushing out unbelief. I was washing my heart with the truth of God's grace over and over and over again. I was purposing to overcome the unbelief in my heart. One of the things the Lord reminded me while I was preparing this message is that resisting unbelief usually takes time. So, watching and listening to flush out my heart. It is the Word of God that cleanses our heart from the things this world throws at us. So that's what we need. Unfortunately, sometimes we think a little dab should do us. <laughs> but you have to think of your heart as a scale. Your heart weighs everything. You see, all day long, my body was saying, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick. More unbelief, more unbelief, more unbelief, more unbelief, more unbelief. And I needed my scale to go in the opposite direction. So what I started doing was piling on the faith, the stuff that activates faith, because I already had it. had all the faith I need, I need to activate it. So I was changing my hearing, my seeing, embracing the truth. And so what happens is that at some point, you flush out enough unbelief. See, faith works naturally. It's supposed to. But when we have something chronic in our body, we hear it 
all the time. It talks to us all the time, and it can be really a lot. So sometimes it's not a little dad will do you. We have to decide. We're not going to let the enemy talk us out of what belongs to us. Because it took time, I let something go. I didn't take and hold. A few years ago, I knew I was really close to my breaking through and apprehending my healing for gluten sensitivity. But it was at like a super busy time in my life. I had school and church and work and there's not enough hours in the day, Jesus. <laughs> and I was actually walking on my treadmill and the Lord said, look, and he showed me a picture of the finish line. He says, you're so close. I said, I know I can feel it. <laughs> and he goes, but unbelief is still hindering you. It's right there. And I said, but I just don't have the time. Can you say, really dumb? <laughs> really dumb. <laughs> but that's how I felt. I don't have the time to do what I did, to overwhelm myself with everything that I thought it would take. Really, since I was that close, I probably could have gotten it pretty easily. But I had a mindset that I've got to swamp myself <laughs> with the Word of God and with healing testimonies. But that's really not true. You see, at one point in my life, I absolutely positively knew there was no way I could, by faith, apprehend my healing. Because gluten sensitivity and what it does to me was so much bigger than it's already done. Gluten sensitivity isn't me getting a tummy ache. It meant that I would start off with nausea, I would proceed to a projectile vomiting, I would be so delirious and dizzy that I couldn't stand up straight, I would have to be in bed for several days, and it would take me seven to ten days to be back to normal. So if I were not healed <laughs> and ate gluten, <laughs> that would be my result. And so I had all of this fear. Old mindsets, what if my faith isn't strong enough? I didn't have a, it's already done mentality. I wasn't there yet. This was bigger. The fear was bigger. But as I began to watch all of these healing testimonies, guess what? That began to diminish. In fact, the more you understand grace and the mindset of it's already finished, all of that other stuff starts to go away. Your scale goes from heavy on the unbelief to this starts to tip because grace far outweighs unbelief. Grace activates your faith. So all of that unbelief started to go away. Now, I haven't yet apprehended, but I haven't tried either. Sometimes that's the other thing that happens is we go, I'll get around to that. <laughs> you know why? It's going to take me some time. It's going to take me a little bit of effort to get rid of that unbelief. And if it's not pressing, we will live with whatever is afflicting us. If we can live with it, we will. And it's true. I did that. We can decide to resist, not just all at once, but every day, all day, as we go. This past week, the Lord had been reminding me about this resisting as we go, daily resisting. Now, my mom has several health issues and has for many years. But a couple of years ago, they had to put a stint in one of her arteries. After her initial treatment, they sent her home with a prescription for her to go to therapy several times a week. Resistance training. That's what heart patients need. They need to get it moving, right? And what happened to her is while she was resisting for her heart, her whole body started to get better. <laughs> she started to get strength, and she was being able to do things she hadn't been able to do in quite a while. 
just because she started to resist a little bit every day. A little bit every day, she was getting stronger and stronger. Well, she's had a couple more setbacks in her health, and I was watching her trying to get into her vehicle. She really struggled to be able to physically get into her vehicle now. And the Lord reminded me, he says, you see how vital resisting is? You see, we think if we do nothing, if we just don't resist, if we don't decide to resist, that's not going to make any difference. It's not going to get any worse. But you think about Abraham and Sarah. It says, really, the only thing that could weaken Abraham's faith or his effectiveness of his faith was the unbelief. The only thing that could hinder it was the unbelief. That's the only thing that could stop his faith was a little bit of unbelief. And so if we handle unbelief as it comes, you know those thoughts when you're doing something, and <laughs> this will never work out. <laughs> we have to talk back. We have to resist the lies of the enemy. We have to resist in our body. Even physically this works. You see, if I don't move every day, what I have will go away. It will begin to cause myself to be weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's what happens when we don't resist unbelief. If we're not shoveling unbelief out of the way, <laughs> it's just going to keep piling up. And our faith is going to feel like it's not strong, even though it is. Because the more unbelief we have, the more we're wavering. I got it. I don't got it. I have it. When, Jesus, when? It's the inconsistency that makes our strong faith ineffective. Because our faith is always strong. We have to activate it. We need to do some resistance training. A little bit every day. <laughs> to get our faith to work consistently. That's our goal. We don't want to have to spend two, three, four, five weeks listening to healing testimonies so that we can get rid of something. We want to keep it up to date, so to speak. Keep the unbelief shoveled out of the way. Resistance training is vitally important, both physically and spiritually. In fact, the two are essentially connected. Resisting limitations physically is also resisting limitations spiritually. Our physical bodies give us spiritual authority in this physical realm. That's why it's so important for us to act on our faith by doing something. It's exerting spiritual authority. That's why we can speak to our mountains in our life. We have spiritual authority on this earth because we have a mouth. <laughs> our physical body gives us spiritual authority, and that's why we have to use it, or we're going to lose it. It's not going to be effective. Speaking is resisting unbelief and releasing our faith. Every time our body talks to us, we can respond with the truth of God's grace and the finished work. We can resist using the promises of God. We can talk back. You used to get in trouble for that, right? Now it's required. We can talk back, even if it's just within ourselves. So let's talk back. Let's get annoyed with unbelief. Let's resist all of the unthoughts, the unrighteous, unhealthy, unprotected, unthankful, unfinished, all of that. And if possible, let's set a regular daily exercise routine of resisting unbelief. It is the consistency of our faith that shows itself as strong. This world never stops talking. So let's spend time every day resisting unbelief on purpose by hearing what the Word of God has to say. Let's spend time digging out our own precious promises. Let's use our spiritual authority by speaking to our mountains whenever they speak to us and speaking to the lies of the enemy. Let's release our faith through prayer and worship and praying in the Spirit. All of these things help to flush out the unbelief that sneaks into our heart. The Lord has challenged me to have a daily time of resisting unbelief. 
of exercising my faith and my body. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> my prescription from the Lord is pray in the Spirit an hour a day while I worship and walk on the treadmill. You know what? I don't always feel like doing it. I love to worship Jesus. The first thing in the morning, I don't feel like it. I love you, Jesus. I have some coffee. I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I don't usually feel like doing what I want to do on the inside, on the outside. So I have to make a choice. I have to choose what I'm going to listen to. Am I going to listen to my body, or am I going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Am I going to use my spiritual authority and make my body do what I want it to do, or am I going to listen to my physical body and let the natural realm rule and reign in my life? If I wait for myself to feel like doing it, guess what will happen? Nothing. I won't be resisting consistently, so I won't get the consistent results in my faith that I want. The natural realm is always talking, and it's always contrary to the spiritual realm. So I have to use my authority and tell myself to get up and get at it. <laughs> and then halfway through the hour, I have to tell myself, you have to stay with it. <laughs> but if I want to walk in all that's available by grace, then I need to resist what the natural realm has to say every day. Our biggest problem, unbelief, doesn't have to remain a problem at all. We can renew our minds to the truth of God's amazing grace and His finished work. But we have to do it all the time. It's not a one-time will do ya. <laughs> because the unbelief is always talking. We always have to wash that stuff out, get that unbelief out. We might need to remind ourselves regularly that it's already done, that the work is finished, and we've already won whatever it is that we're believing for, as long as it's within our salvation package. It doesn't matter how hard you believe, if it's not in your salvation package, you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to stand our ground and take and hold by faith what belongs to us through Jesus Christ. Don't let go of what God has promised you. Don't let go when the finish line is closer than you think it is. He said, whatsoever you desire. Don't let go. Don't be too busy to resist unbelief. Take time to resist unbelief regularly. And what you'll begin to see is when you speak to your mountain, it moves. You don't have to push it. You don't have to get four other people to pray with you. When we consistently remain consistent in our faith, consistently getting rid of the unbelief, our faith will work every time. That's where he wants us to live. When we speak, it's done. When we believe, we know it's a finished work. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and whatever you say is finished, is finished. You said all of our sins are forgiven. I never have to worry about being unforgiven again. You will always accept me. You will never be mad at me, even when I'm mad at myself. I thank you, Father God, that you love us with an everlasting love, that you embrace us whenever we let you. Whenever we take the time to let you embrace us, you embrace us and shower us with your presence and shower us with your love and shower us with your acceptance. We thank you that you have given us your faith, your ability to move mountains and speak and have things be accomplished. You've given us the ability to walk and talk just like you. Thank you that you have empowered us with yourself. And Father God, I ask that you renew our minds to the truth, that we would begin to understand how easy it is to not resist and how important it is that we constantly resist. 
that we only believe and set our minds and hearts on what you say, not what the natural realm says, not what our body says, not what our billfold says, but what you say. You have met all of our needs. All of your riches in Christ Jesus are available to us because of Christ Jesus. We have no lack. We have no need. Everything has been provided. Father God, renew our minds with the truth that it is already done in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.